Welcome to the Target Oxbridge podcast, the podcast where we demystify the universities of Oxford and Cambridge and share tips on how to improve your chances of getting into Oxbridge. My name is Naomi Kelman and I am the founder of Target Oxbridge. Target Oxbridge is a programme that has been running since 2012 to help black African and Caribbean students to gain places at Oxford and Cambridge. We've helped over 200 students to gain offers so far and so we've gathered quite a bit of experience over the years. The aim of this podcast is to share the information and top tips that we've gathered with students, parents and teachers, as well as sharing the stories of people who have studied there. For this next series of episodes, we will be focusing on the theme of storytelling, as we believe that sharing our stories is the best way to demystify the universities of Oxford and Cambridge. Today, I'm joined by Anne-Marie Amaphodon who is the CEO of Stemet and the host of the Women Tech Charge podcast. Hi, Anne-Marie. Hi, Naomi. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm quite excited about this. I love Target Oxbridge. I think you're great. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Thank you. I'm really excited to get some of your time as well. There's a lot to talk about, but we're going to try and squeeze in as much as possible. And I thought I'd start by going back to your time at Oxford and at university. So we were actually at university at the same time. And you were a few years ahead of me. And I just thought you were, you know, just a third year, I'm doing your thing. And it was only when we graduated, that I realised you were, you know, younger (laughs) than we all thought you were. Um, And you actually joined Oxford quite a bit earlier than most of us had. Yeah. What is it that you know, prompted you to go on and start university, I think, at 15. Is that right? No. So what happened was, so I had admissions at 15 uh, and at 16 and at 17, because Oxford doesn't, for math, Oxford doesn't let you defer. This might have changed, but they don't let you defer places. Mm-hmm. So I basically kept applying. Um, and what it was, was I had started, so I did my GCSEs early. I did A-levels early. And so was able, like had enough qualifications, basically, to go to Oxford to study maths with computer science Um, kind of before time so what ended up happening though was um, as a 15 year old and even as a 16 year old me coming up on my own would have meant that the whole family would have had to move from London to Oxford and I'm the eldest of five Um, and so it was seen as kind of disruptive um, Mm -hmm. and so I ended up not coming up each time and it was a different college each time as well Um, and then and at 17 it was like okay yeah she's like we're fine for her to be here um as long as you're kind of sort of close by family it's fine for her to be on her own um and so I was like great it's go time go 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 let's go um and I think we kept it I kept it quiet because I think it's one of those things and I, I like as a fresher or as a whatever like you're you're trying to kind of find your crew find your group um and you're it's not that you're trying not to stick out but you're trying to find the commonalities I guess with everyone else and so it was one of those things where it was like I'm not going to let this define like who I am or my experience at Oxford because it doesn't need to all the tutors know uh, a couple of my friends know and actually at that point I was only a year younger well I was a year younger than most people but not but like a couple years younger than than others and so it ended up being the kind of thing that it just didn't it didn't matter having a bod card meant I was the same as everyone else And so it's like, yeah, like, let me just be the same as everyone else. So that was why it wasn't like a whole, you know, she's the child project, but waiting for her to have a Miley Cyrus moment where she like kills over. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Anne-Marie, she's like living, living at large, just like everyone else is living at large. So yeah, let's be friends with her. Let's have good times and let's go to Nando's. Yeah. And, and, you know, we just wouldn't have known, I think I was a year below you and we, we didn't know until, until graduating. Um, but I have seen you referred to as a child prodigy because you were taking exams from as young as 13, I think. Um, what is it that 10, right? Mm. Which exam did you take at 10? I did two GCSEs. So I did my maths GCSE and my OCT GCSE at 10. Yeah. And what what prompted that? Did you just have a natural love of learning from so young that you wanted to excel or was it parental input? So I think, I think ultimately it's a curiosity. So I like understanding things. Like I've always, always been like, why does that work? Why 
do you put like a black rectangular object into another black rectangular object and then Lion King shows up on the third black rectangular object? So for me, that was always my thing of like, but what next? But what next? At age 10, like there's a lot of things you don't know. So there's a lot of things to kind of be curious about and to understand. I think my parents, I'm, I'm like my parents are Nigerian. And so I think for them, it was like, great, like let's just give her all the things that she might want to learn about. There are some things I really didn't like, like English. Um, in fact, so I, I ended up doing English GCSE in year 10 and, and it was pretty much because um, for Oxford's requirements, you have to have a GCSE in English and maths. So I was like, well, I can't go to university if I don't do this thing. So fine, I'm going to sit down and do this English, even though I hate it. Um, and so it was always a thing of if I don't, if my mind isn't being given something to challenge and to explore and that's new then I'm going to be disruptive like I don't sit still and you know I was class clown and in year four year five whatever it would be I kind of figured out that they were teaching us the same maths over and over again so I was a bit like well I listened the last time you said this so why don't we say something new and obviously that's not how the <laughs> curriculum or school works and so it ended up being that kind of thing well, okay fine well you know, there was a part of me that was like, my cousin's four years older than me and she's doing this GSCEs thing all the time or GCECs or whatever it was. So I was like, yeah, I can do what she's doing because I want to watch the TV shows that she's watching. Um, but also it just became a kind of, this is something I enjoy, something that I'm good at, something that um, almost gives me kind of leverage as well in certain situations. So why wouldn't I go after it? And if I can go to uni early, that means I can finish uni early. It means I can start earning money earlier and I can just, you know, retire early. The dream, right? Which is all the yeah. <laughs> uh, so in terms of, you, you said that you, you were ready to go to university from 15, but you had to keep applying until you were old enough for Oxford to be happy for you to come. So what did you do to keep yourself interested and engaged between 15 and when you were able to go to uni because it sounds like you'd run out of GCSE and A-level content to be interested no, in. Well that I mean that's one of the beauties of maths at A-level when I was doing it so it's changed a lot but um so I ended up doing three and a half A-levels in maths so I just kept doing modules upon modules upon modules wow. upon modules um so yeah so like and but I think because with maths if you don't use it you lose it so I think I kind of had to keep coming back with, okay, cool, now we've got further maths, now we've got further additional maths, now there's like another AS. Um, but I think the other thing was kind of, I think my teachers were like, yeah, like now's the time to like look at other subjects. So I remember like I'd, I'd have arguments with loads of my teachers in my school and my form tutor was an English teacher, which you can tell like how well that went. And I think at one point she took me aside, she was like, Amri, life isn't maths, you know, there's like other things <laughs> you might need to know. And I was like, well, what if I'm studying maths at university? Um, so I think, um, so it was kind of like, there were more A-levels, more exams to do, lots of different subjects. And what it meant was that actually I ended up kind of doing like A-levels and GCSEs at the same time and trying new ones. Like I, I didn't do French GCSE, but I did French A-level, like just kind of, it was like, let's, what can I pick up? And so it meant that whereas most people in year 11 do 11 subjects or 13 subjects at GCSE, I did about, I did like seven because it was like, these are the ones that are left. That I'm gonna like try and pass these ones so then I've maybe got the full set of GCSEs that others would have had but I'd like entered secondary school with my maths a GCSE it had the ICT already so it was like okay let's try electronics let's do geography you know let's do all the ones that you know I still get on with the teachers let's do those so I think um so that was what I did really and then I just enjoyed life at school like school was like <laughs> as silly as this sounds it was like yeah I'm at school and I'm kind of studying my own things, not necessarily what everyone else is studying, but I'm here with my mates. So we're like a group of five and we had like a name and we'd like sit in lessons and like talk to each other and just chill out and enjoy life. And, you know, they might have had a little bit more stress than me because they were studying for real. Whereas I was like, oh, don't worry, guys, it'll be OK. I'll help you with that coursework. I'll help you with that. Like, yeah, yeah I've done this already. Like, it's fine. Um so yeah, but my teachers were also very antagonistic. A lot, a lot of my teachers were very antagonistic and my head of sixth form was particularly antagonistic. So I ended up um, in between all of this, I then obviously got to year 11, um, figured out that, well, my head of sixth form laughed in my face when I said I wanted to go to Oxford. Um, really? Even though you had all of these qualifications from so early? Even though the 
that she, so this was a Thursday she was laughing in my face. On the Tuesday, I'd gone to interview, like the sixth one that I actually went to, and bless him, this guy, his name's Mr. Donaldson. So he was at, he was, I went to Latimer for sixth form. And Latimer, like the approach to applying to Oxford was very different from what it was from my, my like uh, year seven to year 11 school. And he, in the interview was like, hang on, so that means you've got everything you need to apply to university. Like, why don't we just apply it? So this must have been May time, maybe. Uh, and he was like, why don't we just apply in October? For Oxford. <laughs> I was like, yeah. are you interviewing me to join your sixth form? Or <laughs> have we skipped forward? So anyway, so I was like, yeah, great. Like, sounds good. Uh, I've done it already. So I know, I know, like, it probably will work out. And then the Thursday I sat with her and I was like, yes, I'm going to go to Oxford. And she literally like, laughed. And in that sixth form, in my original school, they did this thing where they would, like, choose their 10 that they wanted to back for Oxbridge. And then if you didn't make that squad of 10, then kind of you were on your, like, you not even on your own. It was like, no, don't, you can't apply, basically, from this sixth form. Um, and so, yeah, she laughed. She's still actually, like, deputy head of that school. And um, I was like, okay, cool. Well, as much as you're finding this funny, I already know what happens next. So why don't I just get out of here? Because um, you're clearly not going to write me the reference that I know I need. We see that quite often, unfortunately, on Target Oxbridge. So students who are clearly incredibly bright, and you know all the students we work with are black students, and them having to either fight to be allowed to apply, or teachers giving them the right predictions that they need and they know they need for Oxbridge, only for those predictions to magically disappear a few days before the deadline. We always have a few cases like that each year. Right. And it I'm used to it now, unfortunately. Mm. But the fact that it could even happen to you when you were sitting on the A-levels already, there's nothing in question, just really highlights, I think, the challenges that some Black students do face at school when it comes to mm. having someone actually support them in those dreams even when on paper it's very obvious that they're a good fit yeah 100 percent. and and we see this i mean oxbridge is a very targeted thing and it's a very um it's it's like it's kind of niche i guess but you see it in that and then you see it just across children's entire academic career where they're kind of not only are they underestimated but then that then gets in the way of them making the progress that they need to because unless you've got the right kind of support or, you know, the parents that got the, that's got the kind of idea or, you know, God on your side, you know, the system isn't really necessarily there making sure that everyone is able to benefit. So I think it's something that still kind of sticks with me now with Stamets. Um, and I've kind of got this obsession with kind of just working outside of the system. Um, and as much as it's great to try and influence the system and change it, you know, there's there's this impetus of like people now, there's people that are in the system now that it's not working for them. And so we have to provide as many alternate routes as we can. And that's not even just education. That's just everything in general in life. Right. Where there's a system, there are people that it fails and there are people that it um, kind of defaults to. Uh, but all of them are of value. Everyone has their own potential. And so it's definitely something that I see in quite a big way to the point that now I've kind of, I have ended up kind of rejecting lots of stuff that people would assume would be the heart of what I want to do. So I know we're going to talk about scholarships, but, you know, Stemets I made really clear from the beginning, scholarships was not where we were going to start with. It might be something we do eventually, but, you know, scholarships is still me trying to fight for something to happen in the system where the system doesn't want that to happen. And so what I'd rather do is help help those folks look for the other ways to get in, the other routes, the other doors, so that then you're not having to fight against the system and fight against all the others in your cohort. But you're like, do you know what? I'm not going to do that degree. I'm going to do that apprenticeship or I'm going to build up that portfolio or, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do these other things that don't look immediately obvious, but I'm still going to end up in that board meeting with you. Or I'm still going to end up managing you. Or I'm still going to end up in that team. Um, so I'm, I've become... I think I've always been out of the system anyway. Mm. I've always had to do these things just to make things work for me. And so I think, um, you know, that's why it's important to have to have alternatives uh, and to allow people to kind of have a perspective and have an understanding and maybe even tell my story to say, do you know what? It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be in that school. You don't have to stay, you know, where you did your lowest, it, where you did your 7 to 11 is not where you have to do sixth form. You don't have to, and some sometimes I've even been quoted as saying, this is the wrong podcast, but, you know, you don't have to go to Oxbridge. 
like as as sacrilege as that is to say, <laughs> um, you know, I, I went and I know why I went and I know what I benefited benefited from. I think there are still people that I'm in rooms with who didn't go, and so it's kind of there are lots of different ways to do this. Um, and so I think that's definitely something that I'd love people to kind of understand or consider, you know, as young as possible, that the system isn't always going to work. And as much as it's important, as much as there is work to be done and someone does need to go and change the system, sometimes you have to say, do you know what, the system's not going to work for me. I need to find what is. Yeah, yeah. And I think when Target Oxbridge started, it was because we saw that some students weren't getting what they needed in their school. And so we needed to create somewhere where they could get what they needed, if that was right for them, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people say, do they have to get a recommendation from a teacher? And I will say, no, you know, lots of our students do. And there are loads of schools that are really supportive and we've got brilliant partnerships, but there are some students who come to us because they've not been given what they wanted at their school. And so we've provided that space for them to get what they need. And it sounds that through STEMETS, you've been going even further in terms of finding different ways to give people the support they need to get into STEM, but through maybe not the most obvious routes. Before we get into that, it would be really interesting to hear what prompted you to leave banking and start STEMETS when you did do that. So for me, um, this is kind of, it's a much less risky situation than, than a lot of people think and then the question suggests. So <laughs> what happened was, um, I, so I had an opportunity when I was younger, I was a Windsor Fellow from year nine. And so ended up doing an internship with um, an investment bank, Deutsche Bank, just before I started at university. And it was paid. I'd never really met a banker before. I didn't really know what they did. Kind of lived in East London. So you see them on the tube, but you never really know where they're going or what they do. So I ended up being this person for five weeks who kind of went into the buildings with them. I had my own ID card. I didn't quite carry a briefcase, but I was like dressed up to the nines. Um, and I was like, okay, wow, this is like a thing that people could be doing. Um, I ended up on an IT team. Um, and so it was like, okay, like I'm being paid a fair amount. And for me, it was a fair whack. Like looking back now, maybe it wasn't, but for me, it was a lot of money. Like I had four figures in my bank account for the first time ever. It's like just over a grand when I say four figures. But Before you were like uni, that's exciting. I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen that in my name. Yeah. My name and one and then three figures, three numbers, three digits. <laughs> and so um, I was like, okay, cool. That's a thing that people can do. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I kind of shifted a little bit. So I change what I want to do every three years. Um, so before that, I'd wanted to be a management consultant. After that, I was like, I want to be a management consultant for banks. By the time I graduated, I was like, you know, I'm just going to work in the bank. Like, who am I to tell people what to do? And so ended up working there, really enjoying it, working in a tech team, um, feeling really powered. I was listened to. I was promoted. Like, I was respected. All these things that you kind of don't hear often enough about women in tech and, and in particular black women in tech. And so I um, ended up being able to represent the company at a conference in the US and kind of, and I was like free flights to America. So I went for the free trip, got there, was like, okay, this is what I've turned up for. There were three and a half technical women, three and a half thousand technical women at this conference. And I'd never been in that environment. I'd never, I'd barely been with more than 20 technical women in a room. And even then we were like, in amongst others, right? So this was a conference of completely women in tech. And I was like, gosh, how crazy is this? Heard about the problems that we'd had or that we have a representation of women in tech. Uh, initially thought it was a US problem because I've never kind of really heard it spoken about here in the UK. And then kind of thought about it and was like, hang on a second. When I was on my course, there were three of us out of 70 mm -hmm. in those computer science lectures. Um, now that I'm at work, everyone is like, um, I can say Bob, right? Everyone is pale-male style, as they say, or, or you know, middle-aged white men. I have never noticed that I was the odd one out because I'm not looking into the room. I'm sat in the room being looked at. So I've never looked around and been like, the sea of faces I see, none of them are like me in the meetings that I'm in. And they're looking at me, right? They're hearing me. They're processing what I'm saying and things I say then come to, hap come to happen. So I've never had to be like, hmm, why is no one listening um and so it was a bit like okay cool like I'm having a ball here I'm not having it's got nothing to do with my gender and so why haven't why aren't more people of my gender or more people like me here having a ball alongside me um and so started Stamets as a bit of a kind of response to the fact that even as a young person I'd never no one had ever said and I, I was in the papers and all that kind of stuff right like people 
there are some people I meet now who are like, my mom showed me pictures of you when you postured these, and they're from like far flung countries. So it's like people knew I existed. Why, if any, if people knew that girls didn't do this kind of thing, and there was this little black girl that was doing all this stuff, why did none of those organisations ever say, "Hey, Amory"? These things might happen to you. We want you to be part of our kind of sisterhood or part of our crew or, you know, we want to nurture and make sure that we're already running things. Why don't you be a part of it? And so I kind of looked around and there are organizations that have existed for women in STEM. One of them is like 100 years old. There's another one that's like 30, 40 years old. And I was like, okay, cool. None of them reached out to me. None of them appealed to me. None of them were across my radar. But also this is like the Instagram generation. So Instagram started before I started Stemets and I was a bit like all these people are living on it they're using it they're using tech Facebook is a household name it's no longer that tech is just for the techies which at uni you know some of our mates would like take the mick out of me because I had two screens in my room <laughs> oh right you had the two monitors yeah. and it was like a funny joke it's like yeah Amory like what's Amory doing why does she need two screens but you know you need two screens if you're coding like you need all the real estate that you can but it's like, okay, cool. So all these people now that laughed at me for having two screens are like tech consultants and they're in the real world. Oh, really? They have two screens. Some of them have three. Some of them even have four screens every day. So who's laughing now? <laughs> but also, you know, why can't we use all of that? Like the fact that this is everywhere, why can't we use it as part of the hooks for bringing people in? And so I started Stemets as New Year's Resolution 2013. And I didn't leave banking, I guess, formally until the end of 2015. So it took two years for it to get to the point where basically I was working two full-time jobs. I love sleep. I need my sleep. And it was being jeopardized in quite a big way. Um, And so I ended up being like, okay, cool. I have to make a decision. There's upside on both sides. I could stay here, be promoted, continue on a technical track for a little bit longer and actually end up basically in management. Like I'd have to drop the technology at some point anyway, as a professional technologist. Um, or I could go do this Demets thing, see how it goes. They were like, you can come back if you want. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like, let's see, let's see how it goes. There were a few things that happened. There was maybe one incident that happened that I was like, yeah, I should probably not be in the back anymore. I should probably just go full time on Demets. We'll see if we've got time to cover it or not. But it was, it was kind of, it was sleep. And then the other thing was Demets. So when I when I went full time on Demets, there were four or five for like members of staff in the team. And I was almost like managing them in evening slash in like kind of working from home three days a week. So I'd work yeah. from home in the Met's office, be doing DB, be doing my kind of calls and then be like, okay, make sure you do that on that program or have you spoken to that person or I'm going to go have a coffee with X, Y, and Z. And so we got to a point where it was like, actually that side could support me as much as the DB side supports me. So I'm going to de-risk this move. I de-risked it as much as was possible, moved across and kind of we're 2020 now, five years on, I'm still still there at the helm of that organization full time. Oh well, now I'm not even full time, I'm part-time. Wow. And I think it's interesting because again, it shows that there are different ways to do things. I think people often think of going to set up your own business as okay, I'm just gonna quit my job mm. and go for it and hope it all works out. And and that works for some people. I'm much more risk averse. So your approach <laughs> of run both of the things, even if that means you're working really hard. But I've heard mm. you say before, you know, when that started to support you and keep you in a secure position in the same way as your existing full-time job could, that's when you decided to switch. And again, it's that that case that there's just different ways to do things. Um, I, think, I think there's different it. ways, but also people are in different circumstances. So if I'm going to be honest, I didn't, I don't, ha- I mean, some people that do that, you know, they've got like a year's worth of savings or they've got, you know, really supportive family or they've got really low living costs or there's all these things. And it's like, I didn't have any of that. Like I didn't have help to, you know, buy a flat or like, there's all these things where it was like, actually it wasn't going to be workable for me to live at home and do all of these things. So I needed to make sure that, it needed to be paid. It needed. I needed to be paid. I needed to be paid fairly, like properly, um, and I also needed to make sure that Stemets was ready to do that. And I know sometimes when people start things, it's like, oh, I won't be paid this month, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, if I'm not paid, then I don't, I don't eat. Like all these things where it's like, actually, I could just be in the bank. So I'm. It, it needs to be better than me being in the bank because I've had to do that just to have the background, which I think often. 
Um, and this comes up quite a lot with the kind of even things like the Lewis Hamilton um, commission that I'm on at the moment. It's like there's there's so many other things that people have going on in their lives that, again, you can't have that assumption that, you know, there, there's one of the people we've been talking to who, you know, this student wasn't coming to school every day. They're on an engineering course as a black student and they weren't coming to school every day or they'd come to school and they were really disengaged. And it was because there was no one in their house earning money. They were the only person earning money. And so you've got to, like, anytime anyone tells any story, always take the context, always take the understanding of, like, not everybody, there's no default. So not everybody has, there's lots of kind of basics that a lot lot of people don't have. And so if you're going to do that, like, we, I I mean, we might be risk averse as personalities, or you might have to be risk averse because of what's going on in your life. So I think we have to kind of be more open or more understanding that, you know, not everyone has the, it's a luxury to be able to say you're going to quit and just start from standing. Yeah. And I, I've seen quite a lot of discourse online with people, you know, always talking about wanting to run their own business. And sometimes it's talked about as if, you know, if you don't have to get up and go to just quit and go and do it, it's because, mm. you know, you don't really believe in yourself. But again, I think yeah, that point about context is yeah. so important. And we, we see that on our programme as well, students who sometimes the situation at home financially can fluctuate quite a lot. So it can be fine for a few months and then it's not fine for a few months. And, and that uncertainty can make a student go from being really engaged to not engaged at all. Mm-hmm. But we understand that, it's, you know, they might reappear and they'll explain to you why that's been the case. But instead mm-hmm. of writing them up or giving up, you know, you just leave that space there for them. And understand that things might be going on and they might disclose or they might not but I think sometimes people don't leave that space for all those things that might be going on in the Mm. background Mm. so it's really important to consider and to think about um yeah yeah and when you started Semets what were the programs and things you were focusing on initially and how has that changed over the years Ooh, so um, so initially I wanted to recreate the feeling of being at that conference, but for young women. So initially it was, we're going to do panels, we're going to do hacks, and we're going to do like a big kind of exhibition show type thing. So that was the first year. Um, now we are like a bigger team. We've got more um, kind of people that have been through. We have a community that we're able to listen to and kind of react to their and respond to their needs. And we also have partners. So it means that there's quite a broad range of things that we're able to do where actually that initial set of kind of panels hacks, which is like coding weekends, and then uh, a show, we actually have that as kind of that's one part, that's one pillar of kind of events that we run, those impactful events. We have um, in between those kinds of things, we have inspirational content. So whether that's our social media platform, uh, whether, sorry, whether that's on social media platforms, whether that's our closed network, whether that's our zine, like there's, a, there's quite a lot of kind of support that we're able to give to people between events. And then kind of up from that pillar is our intersectional programs. So these are more longer term um, engagements, initiatives, whether it's mentoring, whether it's school clubs, whether it's, um, we started doing certification academies so you can come, you know, similar actually to kind of the system doesn't work and you can't study these subjects. Now you can come to Semets and get certification in cyber, in Python, in agile, in whatever it would be and kind of gain those skills in a way that if your teachers, if the system has failed you in many ways, it's not just about the teachers, um, that then you can at least say, you know, similar to Amory, age 14, I, you know, got this agile certification that's going to stay with me until I'm 70 and, and retiring so um it's changed in that way in that there's kind of more things um on offer and there's like more of a journey now that we've been around for a while now we understand the kind of the, what people need throughout from five all the way up to 25 um but the thing that hasn't changed I guess is the kind of the core ethos of what we what we do so there's the kind of three f's everything we do is free to attend it's always fun for people to be there and there's always food because people love free food and why not come and enjoy the food and like have they really blaring in the well this is it right like why not have that blaring in the background at least you can come and like if you don't like stem that's fine but you've got to eat food yeah and working with young people 
we we sometimes just get the pizza in for some events and the way it disappears yeah. I'm just like okay well yeah. <laughs> I know that they enjoyed the pizza if no, if nothing else if nothing else which you know is important there's like a lot there's like bits of psychology I've ended up picking along the way but like if you're able to then connect so every time they have a pizza then they remember that positive experience like there's something in it um so so there's that side of stuff and then the other thing has always been that kind of we want to keep things um, as hot as possible. So it's about them meeting as many people as they can and, and as diverse a set of role models. Again, we have to be really intentional with that. It's not just look, people very um, kind of long in their career. It's not just newbies. It's not just white women. It's not just, it's not even just women. Sometimes we have men there as well. Um, so we keep the diversity of role models. We always have creativity at the heart of what's going on. So it's never like a lecture where you kind of, you receive the knowledge and that's it. It's like, no, 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 get hands on, like make an app about your hair if you want to make an app about happy, li- healthy living, but it's your thing, your creation. And you're able to see that actually STEM isn't about memorizing formula but it's actually about solving problems and kind of getting creative with it. And then finally it's altruism. So um, it's kind of not apps for app's sake or building something because it's bigger and it's faster, but it's kind of, how does this help? Like what's the sustainability angle on this or what's the health angle on this or all that kind of stuff where it's like tech, we don't hear enough about tech solving problems. Like there's a lot of tech that creates problems, but actually the point of the tool is, there's an issue and why don't we use something to be able to help us solve that issue so for us those are the kind of core the kind of free from food and then the creativity um altruism and then diverse role models is the kind of core so that's this that stemets feel is still there from what it was initially because we've always got that at the heart of anything that we do and that that, that really resonates because i think amongst all of that as well is probably a sense of community in terms of mm-hmm. getting everyone together and then being able to work on things with, with the focus that's not just on themselves, but broader. And I tend to find that people really respond to that. Um, so even, even the students that we work with, they've come because they want help to go to Oxbridge. But what they also find is a community of like-minded people and they start to support each other. And then they start to go back into their schools. And that seems to be a really big motivating factor as well. And then mm-hmm. so I, I, I can I can understand how that sort of really pushes people as well I'm always very interested in programs that are working with groups that the industry or the sector have sometimes said are quite hard to reach when I started Oxbridge Target Oxbridge there was talk of you know black students being quite hard to reach when it comes to Oxford and Cambridge now in my experience they weren't particularly hard to reach I just had to know how to reach them (laughs) which was to have the networks Mm -hmm. and also to build something with those students in mind as Mm -hmm, opposed mm -hmm. to just building something and assuming they'll come because I did it so they should probably want it did you find a similar thing with attracting girls to STEM so I think what we found it's very similar so there's this notion of kind of if you don't if you're not intentionally including someone, you're unintentionally excluding them. So there's a lot of STEM programs and a lot of them do different things, right? And they've all got their merits. But I think it was something where if we were intentionally saying this was for girls, there are some girls who don't want to be in a girls only space and that's completely fine. But there are actually lots who are the only one in that class. And sometimes they're tired of just being there with boys the whole time. And so for this, it was a bit of a relief to be like, do you know what, I'm going to come here and I can just be myself and not have to kind of, I don't know, battle the, teenage hormones of boys being in the room or any of that kind of stuff. So I think for us, being so intentional in a way that others not only weren't, but kind of advised us not to be, has meant that it's been much easier to build that community because there are some people kind of, it is, if you build it, they will come, but it's like, what are you building for them to come to? Which I think is definitely what you've had where, you know, you you want to know that someone wants you there. Right. And by default, it's not obvious that the Oxford wants black students. It's, it's, it's not obvious. It's never been made obvious. Um, and actually, sometimes even when you're in some of those Oxford, Oxford spaces or Oxbridge spaces, you know, you're even more made to feel like other. And so I think this is this is the point of kind of sometimes you have to create those safe spaces. You have to kind of be able to promote that community. And I think if we go back to what you were just saying, which we've had with Mets quite a lot, is kind of when you bring those people together, there's so much safety in numbers and there's so much empowerment that they have in being a part of that community 
that's so refreshing and so different from what they might have got elsewhere that that's what brings people back. That's what allows it to have that multiplier effect. And that's what then allows you to kind of counterbalance and kind of it only grows. It doesn't reduce. Um, and this, uh, you know, is, is that whole cohort approach, which um, kind of, again, when you look at scholarships, you know, it's not the scholarship in itself. It's actually the scholarship and the cohorts so people feel that sense of belonging which is all we really want. And that's all you're ever looking for really in anything that you're wanting to do. And it's the number one reason why people don't then end up in these spaces that they should be in. So if it's Oxford, if it's STEM, whatever it might be, if you don't feel like A, you're going to feel like you belong when you're there or B, you don't look like someone that could be, the, uh, the people that are successful in that space don't look like you, then you're less, much less likely to say you're going to contribute your life's work, your one life that you have, your precious time that you have, they're not giving you free pizza, then why are you going there to be kind of the odd one sticking out in that space? So I think it, it's definitely something we've got in common um, especially with hard to reach groups, because I think, like you said, it's not that they're hard to reach, it's that if you're not intentional about, if you're not genuinely intentional, so it's not a talk the talk, it's a walk the walk. You know, if you if you don't make sure, if you don't have halal food at your event, how are Muslims going to feel in that event? If you don't say out loud that you've got halal chicken in Nando's, right? Like, it's not mm-hmm. that thing, well, yeah, of course we had halal chicken. Like, no, 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 say you've got halal chicken, because then that sends the right message to those folks to say, we're here and we're ready. And it's the same thing for Oxbridge. It's the same thing for STEM. Like talk about talk about the different sides of what is possible in STEM. Talk about the different ways that you can be successful in STEM. Talk about the different types of people that can be successful. Or say, we're here for the girls. Yeah. Right. And if and if you're a girl that's ever thought you're interested in STEM and you've been to some of these other things, like the stories the girls tell us of schemes where, I don't know, you've got scholarship X. <laughs> And the boys, when you're when you're going through through the recruitment process, the boys are all like, "Why are you here?" Oh gosh! And that and you're coming to tell me this. So the people that run and that's happened year on year on year. So I know that that's a common thing that happens at that particular scholarship. I know how many times I've had to to catch the balls that they've. Or the other one that winds me up is you know certain things where again, if we go back to this money thing, not everyone has oodles of cash to take part in engineering competition. Why? Right. And so I get emails all year round. Hey, we're a team of girls. We wanted to come together. Da, da, da. We need to raise three thousand pounds to do da, 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 to enter this competition. And I'm like, OK, cool. The people that are running it, do they know that you need three thousand pounds? Do they know that you're a group of four 15 year olds? How many 15 year olds have three thousand pounds? No, I know. I didn't have three thousand pounds or a quarter of three thousand pounds age 15. I've ended up in STEM. So why are we putting artificial barriers in the way of people to do things without understanding that again it's like you 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 need to be ready to take on these people to give them a hot meal sometimes to tell them that you do want them there in that space in order for them to come so I think so I think it's I think it's quite important um and I think I know it's not between me and you but on the podcast I think there's lots of folks in these systems who have the power and who have the agency who, who genuinely don't care um and there are also people who do care but kind of there's too much effort involved in actually doing something. And I think that's why Target Oxbridge Oxbridge has done so well, because it's kind of you've achieved so much success in such a short period of time with such limited resources. And and that's why I call you patron saint. Naomi, patron saint of all that students at Oxbridge. (laughs) Well, when we started it, it was because we didn't see anything happening to attract more black students specifically. There were outreach programs, but there was nothing specifically for black students. And what was good to see is when we got to 2016, 2017, even at universities came on board and said, okay, we will fund you to expand. And we've seen, I think, a real, a real uptick in, in focused activity. Um, including the scholarships and support of this programme. And also, I think the students at the universities have been doing great work as well. Um, And that's got bigger once they've been able to partner up with the the central teams at the universities too. Um, So it's been good to see that. And we're going in the right direction now. But I think it does does sometimes take a push from, from people really close to the groups. What I'm really interested in as well is the interaction between gender and race Mm -hmm. with black girls specifically and STEM. Because what I see with Target Oxbridge, and I know I see a very particular group of students, 
So it might not be that this is echoed everywhere, but I see a lot of black girls who are very interested in STEM. You know, I've got, I've got lots of medics, um, but also lots of girls interested in engineering and biochemistry and maths and computer science. And I've, I've been really happy to see that growing over the years as well. Have you seen a challenge when it comes to attracting black girls or girls from ethnic minority backgrounds to STEM? No. So this is something, and again, I think this is this whole kind of, if you're intentionally inclusive, then it kind of pays off. I think, again, because there's there has been quite a vacuum of places that are intersectional um, within the women's space in particular. And, and actually, again, kind of if you look back, there's also not been that many spaces for black women specifically. And even if you go on the black or the BAME side, kind of girls often get left out of those spaces as well. So I think for us, it's been really easy. I think me being at the helm of Cemets and being such a visible kind of leader of Cemets has definitely helped with that. But even across the team, like we've got a very broad team, like we're very representative in my in the team and we're very visible at events online in what we're doing. And so I think it's made it more comfortable for certain girls to come to our space, ask questions, and then to just meet others so you have the little, the, you know, the crews of black girls that come, whether it's from schools or kind of as individuals and people kind of partnering up. And then also white girls get getting involved in that and kind of you know, learning about jollof rice or whatever it might be at events, even though we're there to talk about STEM. And so I think for <laughs> us, it's, it's definitely something that we we were really bad. We've always been really bad about talking about what we do. We kind of put all our effort into just doing it, doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. And I've always had this sense of kind of, I don't want it to be too late. So let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep doing. And it's only now we've been able to pull back and say, well, actually 40% of the young women that we work with on particular programs um, are um, black. In fact, I've been looking through some stats this morning. It's actually fairly, really high, kind of almost overrepresentative against the kind of general population. And I think for us, it's been, it's because our role models are like that. It's like, we've been very intentional the whole way to say, there are lots of different types of women and there are lots of types, mm-hmm. of different types of women therefore who could do tech and there are non-binary folk, non-binary folks who could also do tech. Right. And so I think for us being intentional has meant that we've set up those kinds of spaces where then we've actually inspired girls to then go up and create, to go out and then create their own spaces that might be black only, but they're doing that knowing that kind of, they're not on their own. I will say, I think um, it, this isn't necessarily statistically kind of sound or whatever, but um, you know, I've been on internships. I've been on tech internships before where there were eight black women on that tech internship at the same summer at the same bank. And to the point where I'm almost like losing track of who is who from between the eight of us, right? And so I think for me, the frustration has always been kind of there's there's a demand. I think culturally as well, there are lots of cultures that kind of value engineers alongside doctors and alongside lawyers. And so the the push is actually for those people, again, like we said, to, to feel like they belong in these spaces and to have the benefit and the confidence that comes with being part of a group, which I think often what we end up ha- having is when you go into those spaces, because you're not the norm and because you've been made to feel like other, you almost don't want to attract attention to the fact that you are black. So you almost try and end up kind of hiding in plain sight, um, which is not good for your confidence. It's not good for your progression. Um it's not good for you, for your health, really. Um, yeah. So actually, it limits the impact that you can have, and it limits your technical ability if you start to hide parts of your perspective and parts of yourself, because you need to bring all of that to solving the solving the problems and to what you're doing. So I think I see that more often that kind of you have. Um, I've got friends who kind of don't want to join their black network or all that kind of stuff, and it's almost like you want to assimilate. And you want to, you know, have the right hair and all that kind of stuff as much as possible. And so I think that's a bigger issue. And and then the kind of converse of it is then recruitment and of hiring and of promotions, because then folks feel like, or then, I mean, it's shown that, you know, if you, if you don't have professional hair, then you're going to be paid less and all that kind of stuff. And so actually it's about getting the system to understand that this idea that this is what an innovator looks like, or this is what technology looks like, or this is what an Oxbridge undergrad looks like is utter nonsense because it's not your outward appearance that compare that um, directly correlates with what goes on internally and what you're able to produce. So I think that's probably the bigger issue. It's more about the industry being able to say, okay, cool, this is a black woman. So Sharon White, I, I saw some yesterday kick a, 
um, from BYP kind of tweeted because Sharon White had cornrows at the time. And she was like, what? And it's like, yeah, like her having cornrows. Like she's, she's, she runs John Lewis and was head of Ofcom and she can have cornrows on her head. And like those two things just don't correlate, right? And so we have to get, we need to get to a point where we can see that, um, that power we can see that agency we can see that value in people of different types especially of black women always been undervalued kind of seen as the bottom and I think I do I do annoyingly I do feel like um some of that does sit on my shoulders it's part of why I'm like I know I need to be visible as much as I am quite a private person um as I do need to be there I do need to be seen and like the requests I get through from schools where they're like even when it's not Black History Month, which tells you it's a big thing. They're like, we just need a black face to talk to these girls because <laughs> they've never seen a black face talking about this stuff before. And it's like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll show up because I know that they need to see a black face because I know the value that it's going to be for them to just remember one time there was a name called, there was a woman called Anne-Marie who showed up on the yeah. screen at school who could kind of say the word technology and who my teacher, who, you know, isn't white and isn't this and isn't that deemed necessary. Like, you know, this person was looked up to by my teacher so it's someone of value um it's you know it's so sad it's so sad we don't see ourselves like often at all it's so sad so it is it is and and things like and it because we don't things like Sharon White having her hair in a natural hairstyle which is so familiar to so many of us but that we might think twice about you know since I've started wearing my hair naturally there have been points when I've had particular meetings I thought maybe I should wear this in a different way today and I've had to sort of push through and say no they will get my hair in whatever form it's coming today um but the fact that we have to think about it yeah and you're having you're having to think about it and whether you're going to be penalized for something that literally you didn't choose to have your hair as it is right you didn't choose to be what you are um and I remember kind of being emotional having watched it the first time but I remember at the very beginning of the film so this is about the, the this is about the black women at NASA who are computers who no one's ever heard about who kind of one of them almost had to die before NASA decided to name buildings after them now they're building every build naming every building after mm. them and I remember kind of there's an opening scene where this girl this kind of little black girl with pigtails is like drawing mass on the board everyone's much older than her I can't believe and I literally was like oh my goodness that's me on screen <laughs> that's me (laughs) but I've never had that experience however there are people that I know that I've grown up with who every film they see they see themselves there and so it it was so reaffirming it was such an such an amazing feeling to be like I'm seen I exist there are others like me like it's not you know it's almost like a it's not even like a not being special but it's like a yeah that that did happen to me because it happened to her to the point that it's on the big screen and now thousands or millions of people are going to see that but I've never seen a young black girl doing maths on screen so confident like and it's how strange is it because you've seen I don't know what it is I mean I haven't seen it but the one with the mathematician Forrest Gump guy Rain Man I know what you're talking about yes yeah, yeah, it's all that stuff we've seen all of that, or we've heard all this stuff about Stephen Hawking or Einstein or any of the others, and it's like, okay, cool. But there were others. Why do we only have to, you know, how many Vietnam reenactments do we need to see when there's all these other stories that can be told, all these other things that happened? Um, and so as a black woman, you know, I've seen singers, I've seen athletes. There's another thing. Yeah. Is my PE teacher was so angry that I, w- I, I wasn't good at PE. She was so angry. And it's there was an expectation that yeah, <laughs> many years later, because I would always be like, "What? What is it about me? Do you think I'd be great at athletics?" And she looked at you once and thought, "If she could run." So frustrated, and it was like, "Because all the other black girls that she'd ever seen in my school, and there weren't that many of us, were all great at athletics." And so it's like fat, a fat little ten-year-old Anne Marie who's like always doing this maths thing. It's like, "Why can't you run?" I'm like, "I don't know. Why do you think I should be able to run?" <laughs> It's like, because you've been watching these movies. If she'd seen Hidden Figures, maybe she wouldn't have been as annoyed at me as she was for five years. Because till today, the bleep test, I never got past the first bleep. I avoided running until lockdown. And, and now, now I run. I mean, by four, but, it all catches up yeah. eventually. But the point <laughs> is, like, it's just so strange. I think it, it's strange, it's frustrating. Obviously, this is the whole discussion that's happening at the moment, is that, you know, I should... I can be all these things. It's not even like I can be all these things. There are black women that have done all these things. We have GPS because of a black woman. Nobody knows that. We have CCTV because of a black woman. Nobody knows that. How? What? 
<laughs> yeah, and it's just about getting those stories out there. I find out things still. And sometimes I think it might be a gauge. I, I should know these things, surely. But then you realise other people don't know. And it's, it's, a ni- it's nice every time that I do learn something new like that. But then you just learn feel why. yourself. Yeah, but then you feel why, why didn't I know? And why was I robbed of this when I was younger? Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so great that you are in a position where you're able to, you know, lead on sharing that and bringing just that my to young girls. It's nice because it's just my existence in, in some time. Sometimes it feels like just my existence or my presence somewhere is like an act of defiance. Um, and so it's quite, it is quite nice sometimes to turn up in places and be able to say certain things and kind of help people. Like even, even if you just want to know what a black woman in tech looks like, if, it, if that has to be me, then at least there's someone in your head rather than you not knowing what that looks like. So then when someone turns up in your interview, you don't in your head go, oh, no, no, never seen one of these before. Yeah, she can't be, can't be that good. And then <laughs> don't hire someone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time. So I wanted to ask my final question, which is what tip would you give to your 16-year-old self? So the tip I give to my 16-year-old self is very different from the tip I give to a 16-year-old that's listening. So the one I give to myself is, Amory, take yourself seriously. Because as you know, I don't take myself very seriously. I like to enjoy things too much. And actually, as much as people don't want to believe this, I'd be so much further in life and have achieved so much more if I just took myself seriously sometimes. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's kind of by the by. For other people, I think my tip is uh, find your tribe. Like, don't do things on your own. There's no point. You go further when you work with others you learn more and you learn from their perspectives and you get to share and you have a much more enriched experience when you do it with others like just don't do things don't feel like you have to do things on your own find your tribe don't feel like you have to apply to Oxford on your own find Tiger Oxbridge like just always be looking for the crew for different things and it will make things so much easier and it will make it will help you go further and it will be such a much more fulfilling experience than if you are continuously doing stuff on your own and trying to struggle th- through things on your own because it will be struggles, there will be failures, there will be mistakes. And if you're in a crew, it's much easier to A, see them coming, but B, handle them when they happen. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. No problem. Thanks for all you've done, Amy. I don't know if anyone else does, says this, but kind of you're you're brilliant and you do a lot. And I wish you didn't have to, but your reward is in heaven. This is it. That's what my parents used to say. <laughs> no, <laughs> Thank reward. you. Your reward is literally heaven. Naomi, patron saint of Black students at Oxbridge. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening and thank you to our friends at Rare, Clifford Chance, Linklaters and McKinsey for making this podcast possible. We hope that you'll share this episode with friends and family who might find it useful and don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at at Target Oxbridge. If you have a question that you'd like answered in our next series, you can email me at naomi.kelman at targetoxbridge.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.